Hey, this is Todd and Julie Mullen, senior pastors here at Christ Fellowship Church in South Florida. Whether you're across the street or across the world, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy week to join for this message. We hope that it encourages you and inspires you to get more out of life. Come on, aren't you thankful today that the God we serve is more than enough? More than enough. The last few weeks at Christ Fellowship have been nothing short of miraculous. Can I get an amen? What God has been doing across all of our campuses from revival nights, uh, I was at our college retreat last weekend. I mean, just the presence of God has been so real. People can't even leave the altars because of what God is doing. So can we just thank the Lord one more time? Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in the life of our church. Amen, amen. You can go ahead and be seated. As you might know, we are in a series over the last couple of weeks where we are talking about the miraculous. We're talking about what it means that God is still working and doing miracles in our midst. And and so one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks is that God is still at work. In fact, at all of our campuses today, you heard a testimony of how God is still working miracles. And one of the reasons that we're talking about this is is because of this quote that I love from Charles Spurgeon. He once said this. He said, remember, since Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, what he did at one time ought to be well considered because it is the index of what he's prepared to do again should the need arise. In other words, what he's saying is that what God did for them then, he's prepared to do for us now. And so we need to study the scriptures to understand not just how God works miracles, that's important, but we need to study the scriptures more importantly to understand why God works miracles. Over the last couple of weeks, one of the things that Pastor Todd has said is that the words in scripture that are usually translated into the word miracles, often those words should be understood as signs. Right, meaning that they point us to something. And, and so many of you, you're familiar with signs, right? If you, if you drive at all, you're familiar with signs. I wanna put you to the test this morning across all of our campuses. Just shout it out if you know it. What does this one mean? Yield, Yield okay, it's easy. You've seen that before. Some of us don't know how to do it, but you know what it means, right? <laughs> how about this one? Do not enter, right? Do not enter. I have ignored this sign many times in my life. I will, I, I will confess to you this morning. How about this one? Stop. stop, all right? We all know stop, right? And what I need us to understand this morning is that sometimes there are signs that you are familiar with. When you see them, you immediately know what it means, but that's not always the case. In fact, I brought some confusing signs with me this morning. Here, here's one, just I want you to take a look at it for a moment and I want you to see if you know what this means. Just think about it for a second. It's confu- like it'll hurt your brain, you know, like it's, it's confusing. This, this sign actually means uh, no vehicles except for bicycles being pushed. That's, a, that's what that means. I'm not sure that it's what it communicates, but that is what it means. How about this one? I've never seen this one in person before, but I think it's pretty fascinating. No vehicles carrying explosives, okay? (laughs) Which apparently means there are some places where vehicles can carry explosives. If you need a sign to tell you, don't do it. And just one more this morning. You know what this one means? Ooh, I heard speed limit. This is actually 
minimum speed limit. You must go at least 30 miles an hour. I want some more roads like this, right? You must go at least 30 miles an hour. Now, some of these signs are more familiar to us and we know them immediately, but some of these signs are are foreign. They're unfamiliar. And what that means is, if we've never encountered that sign before, then we don't know what it means. If we've never looked at that sign or studied that sign, then we won't understand, listen to me, it's true significance. And if miracles in scriptures are to be considered signs, then the same is true of miracles. Sometimes we see miracles and we're like, oh, that was the Lord, that's easy, I know exactly what that was. But sometimes we fail to understand what the signs or the miracles really mean. And so what we're doing is we're studying the scriptures to understand why God does the miraculous because each of these moments is a a sign pointing us to something or more specifically to someone. And so when we read about miracles and when we experience miracles today, we need to understand that they are are meant to communicate something to us. They're, They're meant to teach us about the message and the mission and the heart of Jesus. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at a sign in scripture today. Now, what we're gonna do is we're gonna study the story where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. And you might go, why this miracle story? Because if we're honest, we're mostly familiar with it. Like it's maybe one of the more well-known or more popular miracles. But there's a few reasons that we're gonna study it today. One reason is this. You might know the feeding of the 5,000 is actually the only miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus that's included in all four gospels. The only miracle outside of the resurrection of Jesus that's included in all four gospels. Now that ought to tell us something. You you might know that each gospel writer has a very specific audience in mind. They're writing to a very specific group of people. As an example, the Matthew, the gospel of Matthew is written primarily to a Jewish audience. And he wants his audience to understand that Jesus is their long-awaited Messiah. Mark writes to Romans. They each have different specific audiences. The Gospel of John, as an example, is, is more broad. He writes more generally. In fact, he tells us he writes all of these things down so that all might believe. And, and so what's really interesting to me is that if they each have specific audiences, right? Jewish people, Greeks, Romans, more broad audience. And all four of these Gospel writers with their specific audience in mind went like, oh, I can't forget about the feeding of the 5,000. I gotta tell them about this one, they, my audience needs to understand what Jesus did when he fed 5,000 people. In fact, in the gospel of Mark, uh, the story that Pastor Todd read in our week one of this series, he talked about the moment where Jesus calmed the storm, right? And in the gospel of Mark, it says that when they see Jesus coming and they're terrified because it seems like he's a ghost and then he steps in the boat and, and immediately calms the winds and the waves and they're in awe, right? Like the, the Bible actually says in the gospel of Mark that the reason that their experience, they experienced it that way is because they didn't understand the feeding of 5,000. So there was something about their inability to recognize Jesus. There was something about their awe, their wonder, something about them being terrified that was connected to their inability to understand the feeding of 5,000. And so I say all of that to tell you that no matter where you are from, no matter what background might be yours, it is incredibly important for us to understand the feeding of the 5,000 because if we do not, we may not understand the person of Jesus. 
We may not recognize him when we see him. God intends to teach us something through the feeding of the 5,000. And so now you know, I could read this story from any gospel, but I'm gonna read it today from the gospel of John chapter six. Here's what the scriptures say. It says, sometime after Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had been performing by healing the sick. I want you to just take note for a moment of why people in this moment are following Jesus. They're following Jesus because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. The Bible says this, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and he sat down with his disciples. Now the Jewish Passover festival was near. And when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread to feed all of these people? Now, in all of the gospel accounts of this story, it kind of starts with this question, whether Jesus brings it up or the disciples do, of like, what are we gonna do? Like, how are we gonna feed all of these people? And so when we read this story, we see that there's a very real physical need that needs to be met. And so in this passage of scripture, Jesus says to Philip, where are we gonna buy enough bread to feed all of these people? Now, we know from other areas in scripture that Philip is actually like the local He's from this area, so I think Jesus is just kind of putting him to the test, but also he's like, hey, do you know any local hot spots? Like, where are we gonna feed all of these people from? And so it continues. It says, he asked this only to test him, for Jesus already had in mind what he's going to do. I could stop right there and I could preach a whole sermon on what Jesus is already going to do, but there's a test. There's a test before Jesus moves and does what he's already going to do. So he says this to test Philip and Philip answered him. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one only to have a bite. It's fascinating to me, Philip's response in this passage of scripture. Not only is he thinking like, where am I going to get enough food for all of these people? But he's like, we couldn't even afford to buy enough food for all of these people. They would only get a bite with half a year's wages. Now, what we should notice is that he's obviously not expecting a miracle here. When Jesus puts him to the test, his first response is not faith. His first response is not belief. In fact, his first response is like, well, no, there's nothing that we can do. And so he's not expecting a miracle here. His mind goes to how do I solve this problem naturally? Which if we're honest, that's many of our reactions when we meet a need or a moment where it seems impossible, right? We start to figure out how are we gonna take care of this problem naturally? He's worried about the cost and the logistics. He's focused on the impossibility which tends to be my perspective as well. All the reasons he can't do it. Now, in his defense, so far in this gospel alone, he has only seen Jesus turn water into wine, bring a sick kid back from the brink of death, and cause a man who'd been lame for 38 years to walk again. Like, that's all he's seen so far. So, like, maybe cut him a little slack, right? Maybe he knew that Jesus could handle thirst and death and disease, but he did not yet know he could handle hunger. Scripture continues, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy 
with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? At least here we see some semblance of faith. He's like, Jesus, I got an idea. It's not a good one, but five loaves and two fish. At least he's pointing out that they have something to work with. So Jesus said this, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they, they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Now you probably already know that the actual number of people present on this day is actually a lot higher than 5,000, right? It says 5,000 men, they counted the men. It doesn't represent fully the women and children that would have been there that day. So the feeding of 5,000, like multiply that by three, say it's actually the feeding of a lot more than just 5,000. Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Now, what's interesting is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that Jesus actually hands the elements to the disciples in order to distribute the miracle to the crowd. We'll come back to that, it's important. When they all had enough to eat, the Bible said, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the what? The sign. Jesus performed, they began to say this. Surely this is the prophet who has come into our world Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and to make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain all by himself. Now again, this is an incredibly important passage of scripture for us to understand why, because Jesus performs a miracle. Jesus shows them a sign, but what is that sign intended to communicate? That's what I wanna talk about for just a few minutes today. What does this sign show us? The first thing is this, I'd love for you to write it down. This sign shows us, this miracle shows us a manifestation of his compassion. This sign, this miracle, this wonder, it is a manifestation of the compassion of Jesus. Manifestation is a word that means to clearly show or embody something that is otherwise abstract. It's the difference between telling someone that you love them and demonstrating your love for that person. Part of the reason that Jesus shows them this sign and does miracles even still today, they are a manifestation of his compassion. In fact, several gospel accounts of this story are clear to tell us that Jesus's primary motivation in performing this miracle on behalf of the people is that he is moved by his compassion for them. He loves them. He has compassion for them, and it's that compassion that becomes the foundation for what he is about to do for them. In fact, in Mark chapter six, it says that he has compassion on this crowd because he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. He, I need you to just, he doesn't feed them because he takes pity on them. He feeds them because he has compassion for them. And the reason that he has compassion for them is not primarily because they're hungry. Actually, Jesus is concerned about something much deeper than just their hunger. 
Jesus has compassion for them because he sees they are like sheep without a shepherd. And so he decides to make his compassion or his love for them real and and visible. But please notice, he's not primarily concerned with their physical needs. He's concerned with their spiritual ones. In fact, you could argue that the only reason Jesus even meets their physical needs is so that he can keep teaching them and get to their spiritual needs. Meaning that you don't have to settle for the miracle, the physical miracle, when Jesus actually wants to point you to something much deeper. There are needs in our lives that are way deeper than just provision, financially or physically or hunger. And Jesus sometimes will meet those needs because he wants to get to something deeper. Jesus is primarily concerned about our spiritual condition And when he sees us in our poor and helpless estate, he is moved by his compassion for us to do something on our behalf. And so when God does the miraculous in scripture, when God does miracles in our lives and in the lives of others, it's a manifestation of his compassion. Now it's important for us to understand that because if you've ever prayed for a miracle and you didn't get it, The number one lie that the enemy will speak into your life is that God doesn't love you. God doesn't see you. God doesn't care about you. He knows that he can twist this to get you to feel like if you haven't received the miracle, there must be something wrong with you. And that's not true at all. God loves his children. He has compassion for all of us. And sometimes we don't always know why God chooses to manifest that compassion in the form of a miracle. But what you should understand is that when God looks at us, he sees our spiritual need and he is moved by compassion for us. A lot of us, we will seek the miracle without necessarily understanding what the sign means. And what we need to see is that the sign, the miracle, it's a manifestation of his compassion for us. But also, the miracle is a validation of his teaching. I just need you to write that down today. Because at some point in your life, God's gonna show up and he's gonna do the miraculous. Or at some point, you're gonna read scripture and you're gonna see God do something miraculous. And your brain and your heart's gonna go, why did he do that? I'm trying to help us understand today the why behind the miracle. The reason that God sometimes performs a miracle or shows us a sign is it's a validation of his teaching. Now, this point in scripture, Jesus has already begun to teach all of the people about his divinity, right? He's already making claims that he is God. And every miracle that he performs, especially in the gospel of John, serves to validate the claims that he is making for the people. In fact, this particular miracle in the gospel of John has so many different signs that specifically point a Jewish audience towards the reality that Jesus is God. Pop quiz, how many baskets are left over? 12, right? Which is the number of disciples, but it's also the number of the 12 tribes of Israel. One basket for every branch. And so when Jesus feeds 5,000 people, he's not just telling them Oh, I'm the one you've waited for. He has specific ways in which he performs this miracle to point this Jewish audience to the fact that he is their Messiah. In fact, do you remember the last time that God fed his people by miraculously providing bread? You know that story? When did he do it? 
He did it in the wilderness, right? When he had freed the Israelites from slavery in Egypt through their deliverer, Moses, they wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And before they enter into the promised land, God feeds them every day. How? By miraculously providing bread from heaven. God gave them manna from heaven. And now Jesus does the very same thing for this crowd. It's a fulfillment of what God had promised them so long ago. Jesus does this miracle in this way in order that the people, they might understand something specific about Jesus. He's trying to teach them about himself. And and when God works in your life and works in my life, when God performs a miracle in the lives of others, he's trying to teach us about himself. He's trying to remind us that he's God. He's trying to remind us that, that he's good. He's trying to remind us that he's powerful and he always performs a miracle or a sign in order that we might more deeply understand who he is. I love that Jesus's primary concern is not their physical need. He's concerned about something much deeper. And and the same is true for you and I. God does want to meet the needs in our lives. He is ready and willing and able. He wants to show up on our behalf, but what he cares about more is that you would understand who he is, his character, his heart, his nature, his his teaching. If we are not careful, then our experience in life becomes our highest authority. What I have seen, what I have felt, what I have heard, what I can understand, if we are not careful, that becomes the highest authority in our lives. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we instead need to be concerned that scripture is the highest authority in our lives. And so the reason that I look to the word of God is so that I can understand my experience through the lens of God's word and not understand God's word through the lens of my experience. Whether or not God shows up on our behalf, listen to me very carefully, doesn't change who he is. We, we, we look to the word of God that we might understand our experience through the lens of scripture. And, and if we look at it that way, what we see is that the miracle is a, a validation of his teaching and God wants to show up in your life so that you might understand who he really is. Not only is the miracle a manifestation of his compassion, Not only is it a validation of his teaching, but also the miracle is a demonstration of his power. And we know this and we love this because it's awesome when God decides to show off, right? Like it's awesome when God decides to demonstrate his power. This is is pretty obvious in this text that, that Jesus here is demonstrating his authority over all created elements, right? He's demonstrating his authority over all natural elements. He's demonstrating his ability to do the impossible. And it is that very thing that makes him unique. It makes him unparalleled. No one can do the things that Jesus can do. And so he uses his power to demonstrate who he is and let people know what he is capable of. The disciples were not able to do it. The people in the crowd were not able to do it. Nobody who came before him could do it, but only Jesus could perform this miracle in this way and demonstrate his power. No one can do what Jesus can do. Now we might try to explain it, we might try to dismiss it, but Jesus has the power to do what no one else can do. 
And, and I don't know about you, but Pastor Todd said it this way and it absolutely resonated with me. I don't wanna serve a God that I can get my mind around. I, I don't wanna serve a God I can explain. I, I don't wanna serve a God who is powerless. I want to serve a God who is so far beyond my capacity and my understanding. He is so unique and unparalleled that I can't help but go, God, that's only you. Jesus longs to demonstrate his power in our lives. And one of the things that I love about this passage of scripture, we see, you know, when, when, when they're finished and they gather everything up, all these 12 baskets, there's a lot of things that that's intended to communicate, but it just reminds me, like, Jesus is not the God of just enough. Philip goes like, Lord, half a year's wages, only one bite. But Jesus performs a miracle. The Bible says everyone eats their fill. Like, have you ever eaten so much that you could not put another bite in your mouth? You know what I'm talking about? Like hopefully we're not Golden Corral or something like that, but like you, you have actually had a meal where you're like, you sit back and you're like, I, I could not physically put another bite of food in my mouth. That, that's what 5,000 plus people felt on that hill that day. I, they ate to their fill. They could not put another bite in their mouth. And when they gathered up all of the pieces and all of the leftovers, 12 baskets left. Come on, can I just tell you that Jesus is not the God of just enough. He is the God of more than enough. He's not gonna give you just what you need, but God is longing to demonstrate his power in our lives. And we need to learn to rely not on the God of just enough, but on the God of more than enough. Ephesians chapter three says that God is willing and able to do immeasurably more than we can ask, think, or imagine. He is the God of more than enough. This sign, this miracle, it's a manifestation of his compassion. It's a validation of his teaching. It's a demonstration of his power, but also this miracle is an invitation to his disciples. It's an invitation. When God does the miraculous, it's still an invitation for the disciples, that's us, to participate in what God is doing. All three of the other gospel accounts of this miracle specifically record that Jesus, after having blessed the bread, breaks it, and, and he puts it in the hands of his disciples in order to distribute the miracle. So it would have been the disciples, don't miss it, that would have had to step out in faith to pass out these elements to the people. The, the same people who said, Lord, not even half a year's wages would give them one bite. The, the same people are like, maybe, Lord, you could use this. According to three gospels, he gives the elements to them. And so they would have been the ones who had to step out in spite of their doubt, in spite of their disbelief, in spite of their uncertainty, and actually have to feed this crowd. So you know what that means? It means that the disciples would have been the one who realized the baskets were somehow never empty. It would have been the disciples who broke the fifth piece of bread, right? The fifth loaf of bread and realized there was still more to distribute. It would have been the disciples who got to the end of the second fish and realized there was still more to come. I can't imagine what that must have felt like for them because they were actually invited to participate in this miraculous moment. They were invited by the God of the universe. He decided to distribute the miracle through them. 
And I actually think that the same is true today. Don't forget the scripture. Pastor Todd reminded us last week, Jesus says that his disciples will be able to do everything that he did and what? Even greater works. And so it's not just the disciples. It's you and me. And when we look at this story in scripture, we should see that on all levels, there's an invitation to participate in the miraculous. God wants to distribute the miraculous through you. And so I think about the disciples, but I also think about the little boy who brought his lunch. And um, let's just be honest, his mom probably packed it anyway, right? Like he didn't, I don't think he got his lunch ready that day. You know, I have children. So, but he brings a little bagged lunch. And when he steps out onto that field that day, that's all he has, the only one who came prepared. And so I think about that little boy. Like I wonder how his life changed that day. I wonder how different he was walking away from this miracle. I wonder what kind of stories he told for the rest of his life. Don't forget that this incredible miracle that we all need to understand, it all started with a little boy's lunch. The very little bit that he had. And I wanna teach you something today that I absolutely believe can change our lives in the same way that that little boy's life was changed that day. I wanna, I wanna remind you today that your lunch is nothing compared to Jesus's leftovers. Your, uh, listen carefully. Your lunch is nothing compared to Jesus's leftovers. Now that little boy on that field that day could have kept this all to himself, could he not? He, he could have held this in his hands so tightly that, that he just held on to his lunch and nothing changed for him. And he wasn't part of the miraculous. But listen very carefully, because this little boy was willing to offer up the very little that he had, he absolutely experienced the miraculous. He actually watched Jesus take his little lunch and multiply it into all of these leftovers. Everybody ate their fill and their there were 12 baskets left over. And this is not in the scripture. It's just in my heart and mind. So I'm not saying it's from the Lord, but I just gotta believe that the little boy who came with his lunch went home with a basket of leftovers. I just gotta believe like he's walking home going like, I can't believe what I was a part of. Now, now let's pause for just a moment. There were two mindsets on the mountain that day. There was the mindset of scarcity that Philip and, and maybe some of the other disciples had, the mindset of scarcity. Lord, we don't have enough to. Those who were focused on the impossible. And then for whatever reason, this little boy with a bagged lunch has a mindset of abundance. Here God, whatever I've got, it's yours. Now, I don't think that this passage of scripture is primarily about giving, but if you read this scripture and you don't see these connections, we're not reading it correctly. Because here's the truth, when you take the little bit that God has placed in your hands and you willingly offer it up to your savior, Jesus, when you don't have a mindset of scarcity, but instead a mindset of abundance, can I just tell you what God wants to do in your life? You might think you only have a little bit to offer, but your lunch is nothing compared to Jesus's leftovers. 
And I, I, you, maybe there's something in your life that this, you're, you're like, no, Lord, it's mine. God's called you to give something, do something, be generous, step out in faith, trust him. And if all we do is this, guess what? We'll, we'll miss out on everything that God wants to do in and through us. And so don't hold on to this so tightly that Jesus cannot do the miraculous through you because this is all an invitation to his disciples to be a part of what he's doing, okay? We, we are big on giving around here at Christ Fellowship. Why? Pastor Todd told you last week, we just signed a contract on a building in Boca so that people in Boca are gonna hear the name of Jesus and they're gonna turn towards God, they're gonna repent from their sins, they're gonna find the way of everlasting life, right? And so here's why that's important to you. It's an invitation. It's an invitation. Because if you are willing to step out and give towards what God is doing, then he's gonna take the very little bit you think is in your hands and he's gonna break it and bless it and multiply it and thousands and thousands of people are gonna be impacted because you had five loaves and two fish. When you take the very little bit that God has given you and you willingly put it in his hands, there is no telling what the Lord can do. Every time you do something like that, you step out, you are participating in the miraculous. It's an invitation to his disciples. And here's what I know. I know that a seed rarely contains, rarely shows the harvest it contains. A seed rarely shows the harvest it contains. And you might think that you only have a little bit to offer, but can I just tell you, God wants to do the miraculous in and through your life. If the point of this passage of scripture was just to demonstrate the power of Jesus, he could have made manna fall from heaven just like his father did in the Old Testament. But that's not how he did it. How did he do it? He put it in the hands of the disciples. Why? Because God wants to meet the needs of others through our lives. But after all that, the people, they still didn't get it. They, they still didn't understand. In fact, just a few minutes later, Jesus calls them out. He says this. He says, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He's saying that many in the crowd follow him because of the signs and wonders, not because they understand who he is. That's actually still true today. There are many people who follow Jesus, not because of who he is, but because of what he can do for them. Or to say it another way, we want what's in the hands of Jesus, but we, we don't want what's in the heart of Jesus. And then Jesus calls them out for this very thing. Here's the truth that Jesus desires all to understand through this miraculous feeding of the 5,000. John 6, 35, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never thir be thirsty, right? So here's what he's saying. The food that I just gave you will spoil. It doesn't last, right? That bread will get hard. That fish will get cold. You just ate your fill, but later you'll be hungry again. The only reason that I did that 
was to tell you that I can meet your need. I can satisfy your hunger. I can make it so that you never have to long to be filled again. Listen to me, do not settle for the bread in your belly when Jesus wants to satisfy your soul. He's going for something else entirely. Jesus does all of this to say, you're gonna be hungry again, but if you choose to follow me, Jesus says, I am the bread of life and whoever follows me will never be hungry again. Now in this passage of scripture, John chapter six, Jesus says a number of hard things. And he actually says some things that people don't like. Like, like when I just told you that some people follow Jesus because of what he can do for them, not because of who he is. And so he says a number of hard things and the people in this passage, they don't, they don't like being called out by Jesus. They actually find some of his teachings to be difficult and confusing. In fact, in John 6, 66, it says this, that many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him because of what he was teaching. Like it got too hard for them, too inconvenient. Jesus, I love when you fed me, but now that me, you tell me you're the bread of life, uh, I don't know. And so a number of people, they, they turn back and they no longer follow Jesus. And what happens next to the end of John chapter six is absolutely beautiful. Jesus turns to his disciples and he, he asks them a question. And I believe it's a question that echoes through all of eternity to us today. He looks at his friends, he looks at his disciples and he asks them, are, are you gonna leave too? Like in the same way that a bunch of people in this crowd just turned their backs and walked away and they're not, are you going to leave too? I think Jesus asked the same thing of us today. When it gets hard, when it gets complicated, when you don't like what you hear, when you don't get what you want, are you gonna leave too? Simon Peter's response at the end of this moment in John chapter six, it should be a model for all of us. Just one of the disciples in that moment has the courage to speak up. And it's a guy who oftentimes gets it wrong, but here he gets it right. The scripture says, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. So, so when he looks at his disciples and he goes like, are you gonna leave too when it gets hard? Simon Peter just looks at him. He's like, Lord, where else would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. I may not have gotten what I wanted. I may not always like what you have to say. I may find this hard or difficult or confusing, but at the end of the day, where else would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life, which means this, the miracle is a sign pointing us back to our savior, Jesus. The miracle is a sign pointing us back to our savior, Jesus. That's the reason that he does it. The way we wanna end service today is just a little bit different. And what we wanna do together today is we wanna celebrate communion. And here's why. We cannot talk about the scripture where Jesus says, I'm the bread of life and anyone who eats of me will never hunger again without taking the elements that would show us that Jesus longs to satisfy our souls. And oftentimes when we come to the communion table, we do so because it is a reminder of the great sacrifice that Jesus has made on our behalf, right? His body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. And, and this table today, it still represents that. 
But I wanna ask as we've listened to the words from scripture today that it would mean something just a little bit more. I wonder if today the communion represents not just Jesus's sacrifice for us, but I wonder if these elements could also serve as a reminder for us that there is nowhere else for us to look, there is nowhere else for us to turn, there is nowhere else for us to go. In fact, as we receive the bread and the juice today, I wonder if we too, like Simon Peter, could remind ourselves, where else would we go, Lord, for you alone have the words of eternal life. And so today I wanna ask that these elements for you would represent not just Christ's commitment to you, but also your commitment to him. Scripture tells us that on his last meal with his disciples, Jesus, he picked up the bread, he broke it. I can't help but think they were remembering the feeding of the 5,000. The very same elements in their hands. He took it. And he said, every time you eat of this, I want you to do so in remembrance of me. I invite you to receive the body of our Lord and Savior Jesus today. Scripture says in the same way he picked up the cup. He said, this is the cup of a new covenant, an everlasting covenant. This is a cup of my blood, which will be shed for the forgiveness of sins. Anytime you take this cup, do so in remembrance of me. I invite you to receive the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus today. God, I thank you today that you are the bread of life. I thank you today that you, O oh Lord, are the only thing on this planet that will satisfy the deepest longings of our souls. Lord, may it never be said of us that we follow you because of what's in your hands. Lord, we want what's in your heart. We wanna understand the signs and miracles. We don't wanna be confused when you show up and do something miraculous. We wanna understand your compassion for us. We wanna understand what you say about who you are, your character, your heart, your nature. We wanna see your power at work in our lives. But God, we also wanna understand that this is an invitation for us to participate in the work that you're doing in the world. And so God, I thank you that above all else, these signs are meant to point us to our Savior, Jesus. And Lord, you were so committed to us that you willingly gave your life for us on a cross, the ultimate miracle. You died, you were buried, and you were raised to life three days later so that we could have new life. God, you've already done a miracle for me because you've saved me. And if you never did another thing for me, you are still the God who works wonders. You are still the God who works miracles. And I thank you, Lord, that these signs point us to our Savior, Jesus. And today, Lord, as I personally receive these elements, Lord, I wanna be like Simon Peter. Where else would we go? For you alone have the words of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus, for who you are and for what it means for our lives. Today, we choose to worship you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody at all of our campuses said, amen. amen. Come on, can we thank the Lord? for who he is today. Amen. Thank you again for spending time with us today. If you're looking to take a step in discovering the more that God has in store for you, just text the word podcast to the number 441-441 and select the option that applies to you. 
And if you enjoyed this message, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. A special thanks to those of you who generously give to all that God is calling us to do together. It's because of you that everything that we do is possible. We'll see you right back here for next week's message.